Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, or even easier is a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, Radio Havana Cuba, and NHK World Radio Japan. We will begin with France 24. The energy crisis and soaring prices are affecting people in Europe, leading to protests in most countries. Oil, gas, and electricity suppliers are reaping huge benefits while governments are drawing up relief programs. Many citizens want the excess profits taxed. Some countries just want energy prices capped. Germany is planning a 95 billion euro relief package to help with the cost of living. In Brazil, at the celebration of 200 years of independence from Portugal, President Bolsonaro turned the festivities into a massive campaign event a month before the elections. Chilean voters rejected a new constitution which would have given rights to the indigenous, equality to women, and increased social welfare. Those opposed rejected the changes as an attempt by communists to take over the country. France 24. Now, and the energy crisis in Europe uh, has, of course, got far-reaching consequences. And our business editor, Charles Pellegrin, is on set with us uh, here to tell us more about it. Charles. Hi, Stuart. Absolutely. Uh, pressure on Europe to adapt to these soaring energy prices uh, really keeps increasing, especially with Russia saying it won't turn on supply of natural gas on its Nord Stream 1 pipeline until sanctions are lifted. And also because of pressure from people who are increasingly unable to make ends meet. In Leipzig, in uh, Germany, thousands of people gathered to protest the rise in the cost of living and, and calling for a windfall tax on companies with excessive profits. Meanwhile, governments around the continent are presenting relief plans for households. Yinka Oyetade has the details. They are calling time on the worsening energy crisis. Dozens of people in Italy burn their gas and electricity bills in protest of skyrocketing costs that they say they simply cannot afford. We don't want to pay for their war and their crisis. Beyond energy bills, we will starve to death because we won't be able to put food on the table for our sons. It's scandalous how everything has increased. There seems to be no respite ahead after the Kremlin-controlled energy giant Gazprom announced it would indefinitely halt gas exports to Europe on Sunday. Dmitry Peskov, the Kremlin spokesperson, later saying that the halt is in response to Western sanctions slapped on Russia because of its invasion of Ukraine. As the crisis deepens, Portugal is ramping up efforts to support its citizens, with Lisbon announcing 2.4 billion euros worth of measures to help families cope with the rising inflation. It has been 30 years since the last time we felt such an acute increase in the cost of living. 
We know very well there is no magic measure to erase the impact of a conflict. But thanks to responsible budget management, we can safely adopt this new set of measures. The Austrian government is also giving a helping hand. The country's Chancellor Karl Nehammer announced a price cap on Monday to help reduce energy bills. It's not clear whether this will be enough, with Austrian dependence on gas estimated at just under 50 percent. Another issue on the table at the EU's energy talks on Friday, how energy providers should pitch in during the crisis. Von der Leyen is, put, is proposing what she's described as a solidarity contribution, what others would call a windfall tax, on the record-breaking profits that have been reported by energy giants in recent months. Some EU member states are already pushing ahead with similar plans, but the UK's new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, has said it's not an option for her government. Karis Garland has more. With the war in Ukraine driving up prices, European energy companies are raking in huge profits. Ursula von der Leyen, though, is hoping to redirect some of those funds to struggling households. On Wednesday, the EU Commission chief proposed a windfall tax for both renewable energy and fossil fuel companies. We will propose that there is a solidarity contribution for fossil fuel companies because all energy sources must help to overcome this crisis. Some countries are already pushing ahead with levies. This summer, Spain unveiled plans to further tax power companies and Germany outlined a similar move in its latest aid package. The UK imposed a one-off tax as well, but the new prime minister has ruled out another one. I believe it is the wrong thing to be, to be putting companies off investing in the United Kingdom just when we need to be growing the economy. The head of the International Energy Agency told France 24 that windfall taxes are legitimate measures, with energy companies making record profits. Compared to normal years, uh, those companies increased their uh, profits by about 250%. And I am sure that the governments uh, have to take uh, measures in order to share these profits with the rest of the population to ease the burden. The EU's suggested levies on energy firms will be debated by the bloc's energy ministers on Friday. French President Emmanuel Macron has already said he supports the proposal. I'm joined here in the studio by my colleague uh, Charles Pellegrin. And uh, Charles, we're starting with Germany's uh, support programme, one of the largest in the developed world. That's right, Tom. Uh, Chancellor Olaf Scholz, uh, government announcing a 65 billion euro relief package. This is the uh, third. So it, uh, it brings uh, uh, the total cost of aid measures to 95 billion euros, uh, all, the help, all to help German uh, households and businesses cope with the rise in energy prices uh, and uh, the cost of living. So let's take a look at some of those uh, measures now. Uh, 1.5 billion euros have been made available to extend the nine euro ticket scheme for uh, regional and local public transport that was enacted for this summer. And 6 billion euros have been allocated to make one-time payments of 300 euros uh, to pensioners. We'll also see a single payment of uh, 200 euros for students and an increase in child allowance as well as an increase in the number of people eligible for housing allowance. Now, on top of that, uh, a cap on profits has been introduced for energy producers who don't generate power from gas. The proceeds, the proceeds from this uh, windfall tax would then be used 
uh, to create an electricity price break for households. Take a listen to the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. There are windfall profits, excess profits, which are made by producers who can simply take advantage of the situation that the very expensive price for gas determines the price of electricity and who therefore earn a lot of money. We have therefore firmly resolved to change the market organization in such a way that these windfall profits no longer occur or that they are skimmed off. In Brasilia, President Jair Bolsonaro arrived Wednesday morning for a massive military parade aimed at celebrating the 200th anniversary of Brazil's independence from Portugal. But many worry that what should be a day of national unity is being turned into a divisive campaign event. The far-right nationalist Bolsonaro is locked in a bitter fight to save his job as he faces off against leftist former President Lula da Silva in next month's election. Trailing in the polls, Bolsonaro has turned to the playbook of his American role model Donald Trump, attacking the integrity of Brazil's election system and signaling that he may reject any result other than victory. He's also leaning heavily on his affinity for military authority and his association with evangelical religious figures, a move analysts say could backfire. I don't think they'll help uh, in what he really has to do, which is appeal to the independent voter and those voters who have been turned off by his authoritarian, often racist, uh, homophobic rhetoric. But it won't help in that, but it will consolidate his base, it will be a show of support, and it may threaten some people. After the parade in the capital, the president has called for a massive rally on Rio de Janeiro's Copacabana Beach, with thousands of his motorcycle-mounted supporters expected to show up. Many are concerned about the possibility of violence, and there is precedent. Last year, Bolsonaro supporters attempted to storm the Supreme Court during Independence Day festivities in an outburst inspired by Trump supporters' January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol. Cheers of joy for these voters, relieved that Chile will not be rewriting their constitution. In a landslide victory, Chileans resoundedly rejected to replace the country's charter in a mandatory national vote after 15 million people cast their ballots on Sunday. Chile needs change, but not communism. And that's what this process was attempting, creating inequality and division in Chile. This is a surprising triumph. It means Chile is a country that rejects communism, Marxism, and the attempt of communism to take over. The proposed draft was created after an overwhelming 80% voted for a new constitution in a late 2020 referendum. Hailed as one of the most progressive and inclusive constitutions worldwide, it proposed replacing 1981's dictatorship-era document with 388 articles that would reform the political system, state social responsibilities, uphold gender parity and give rights to the indigenous and minorities. The country's president, who'd argued the new charter would usher in a new era, said Sunday that he hoped they'd gather the lessons learned from the process. This decision by Chilean men and women demands that our institutions and political actors work harder, with more dialogue, with more respect and affection, until we arrive at a proposal that reflects us all, that gives us confidence, that unites us as a country. Despite the text being rejected, left-wing President Boric vowed that a new one will be drafted following the result of the 2020 referendum and has called for a meeting between all political parties to establish the next step. 
Those press reviews and reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website france24.com as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. More on the electoral rejection of a constitutional reform in Chile. The Venezuelan foreign minister reported that the United States wants to reestablish relations with his country, but that they insist on continuing the sanctions that have crippled the country. The Israeli military investigation of the assassination of Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu Akleh concluded that there was a high possibility that the bullet was fired by one of their soldiers, but they will not launch a criminal inquiry. China has condemned the U.S. National Security Agency for carrying out tens of thousands of cyber attacks and stealing volumes of sensitive data, primarily aeronautic and space research. Radio Havana, Cuba. Chile has voted resoundingly to reject a proposed new constitution that President Gabriel Boris argued would have ushered in a new progressive era in a result that far exceeded the expectations of the conservative opposition. The new constitution would have had a greater focus on social rights, the environment and gender equality than the existing charter which was adopted during the rule of military dictator Augusto Pinochet. It emerged from an agreement between legislators and protesters to end violent rallies against inequality in 2019, in which dozens of people were killed. With 99% of the votes counted in the plebiscite, the rejection camp had 61.9%, compared with 38.1% in favor of the new text. Voting is compulsory. Polls in April predicted that more voters planned on rejecting the new constitution. The approval camp conceded defeat with spokesman Vlado Virosevis, saying, quote, We recognize this result and we listen with humility to what the Chilean people have expressed. Boris, who had lobbied hard for the new document, said the results made it evident that people, quote, were not satisfied with the constitutional proposal that the convention presented to Chile. The proposed charter was the first in the world to be written by a convention split equally between male and female delegates, but critics said it was too long, lacked clarity, and went too far in some of its measures, which included characterizing Chile as a plurinational state, establishing autonomous indigenous territories, and prioritizing the environment. 41-year-old Roberto Spriones told the Associated Press News Agency after voting in the capital, Santiago, quote, The constitution that was written now leans too far to one side and does not have the vision of all Chileans. We all want a new constitution, but it needs to have a better structure. The result is a major setback to President Gabriel Boris, who took office in March and at 36 is Chile's youngest ever president. He had tied his fortunes so closely to the new document that analysts said it was likely that some voters saw the plebiscite as a referendum on his government at a time when its approval ratings were low. Political analyst Cristobal Beoloyo told Reuters news agency, quote, I think there are two things that explain what has happened. One is a rejection of the Boris government, adding that the other was identity politics in regards to indigenous and other issues.
Venezuelan Foreign Minister Carlos Faria has affirmed that the U.S. government seeks to establish relations with Venezuela without dismantling the sanctions regime that Washington applies to the Bolivarian Revolution. Faria said during an interview with Culture Minister Ernesto Villegas, a renowned journalist in Venezuela, quote, the U.S. government took the initiative to make a rapprochement with President Nicolas Maduro to normalize relations, but not diplomatic ones nor the dismantling of sanctions. It sought the re-establishment of energetic relations between the interests and Washington. The Bolivarian diplomat believes that relations between Venezuela and the United States could be clarified after the U.S. parliamentary elections in July. Midterm elections are expected in the United States and it's said that President Joe Biden is waiting for that to happen and then he is going to make his relationship with our government clearer. We are waiting for that to happen. The Bolivarian minister also pointed out that Venezuela structures its international relations on the basis of a peace diplomacy, which respects the rights of the peoples to choose their own destiny. He said, quote, President Maduro has marked out the line clearly. It is the Bolivarian peace diplomacy which exercises mutual respect in order to maintain peace and does not question the internal policies of each country on the right of peoples to choose their path. Regarding the relations between Venezuela and Colombia, Faria stressed that the Bolivarian government welcomes the normalization of diplomatic, political and economic relations since both peoples are one country and share a common and intertwined history from the very moment of their formation as independent nations. Palestinian officials, human rights campaigners and the families of Shireen Abu Akli have criticized the Israeli military investigation which says there is a high possibility that the Al Jazeera journalist was accidentally hit by an Israeli soldier. The Israeli army, however, said it would not be launching a, criti- a criminal investigation into the killing of the veteran Palestinian-American journalist after re- releasing the results of their own inquiry on Monday. The announcement came despite the fact that Al, Al Jazeera Media Network and several other inquiries by leading human rights groups and media organizations have lent support to witness accounts that Abu Akli was shot by an Israeli soldier. Abu Akli, 51, was killed on May the 11th while covering an Israeli raid in the occupied West Bank city of Jenin, despite wearing a helmet and flak jacket the clearly marked press. Palestinian witnesses told Al Jazeera's The Take podcast that they were never contacted by Israel as part of the investigation. In a statement, Abu Akhla's family rejected the lawsuits of the Israeli investigation finding and said it would continue to call on the U.S. government to carry out a thorough, independent and credible investigation. Israel tried to obscure the truth and avoid responsibility for killing Shirin Abu Akhla, the statement read. As expected, Israel has refused to take responsibility. Our family is not surprised by this outcome, since it's obvious to anyone that Israeli war criminals cannot investigate their own crimes. However, we remain deeply hurt, frustrated, and disappointed. The statement added, we will continue to demand that the United States government follow through with its stated commitments to accountability. B'Tselem, an Israeli human rights group, said that Abu Akhla's killing is part of Israel's outrageous open-fire policy. It's not an investigation, it's a whitewash. It was no mistake, it's policy, the group said in a statement. Enormous public and international pressure was needed to make Israel's spirit a faint confession that one of the soldiers had killed journalist Shireen Abu Akhla, while at the same time shaking off any responsibility for her death, it said. China has condemned the United States for carrying out tens of thousands of cyber attacks against it and stealing troves of sensitive data in recent years. In a report, China's National Computer Virus Emergency Response Center, or CV. 
ERC, said the U.S. National Security Agency, the NSA, has conducted tens of thousands of malicious attacks on network targets in China in recent years. The report, the USA NASA's Office of Tailored Access Operations, or TAO, specifically held responsible for infiltrating the Northwestern Polytechnical University in the city of Xi'an, the capital of the central province of Shanxi. TAO took control of tens of thousands of network devices of the university, including servers, routers, and network switches, it said. The targeted university was funded by China's Ministry of Industry and Information Technology and specializes in aeronautical and space research. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu. There is no podcast up there, but on the website you can stream the English version at noon Pacific Daylight Saving Time, Monday through Friday. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 6,000, 60, or 6165. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet like a repeat supporter in Fort Bragg, California, did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with NHK World Radio Japan. China condemned U.S. plans to sell more military equipment to Taiwan. Eight congressional lawmakers are in Taiwan, the sixth U.S. delegation since Pelosi went in August. The investigation into ties between Japanese politicians and the church formerly known as the Unification Church, or Moonies, revealed that half of the ruling party members have had contact. Putin says that Russia is economically unscathed by the invasion of Ukraine. The International Atomic Energy Agency inspectors said that the situation at the Ukrainian nuclear power plant is dangerous, but they will not say who is responsible for the shelling of the facility which is occupied by Russian troops. NHK Japan China's foreign ministry has strongly condemned a U.S. plan to sell Taiwan military equipment worth $1.1 billion. I want to once again make it clear to the U.S. side that Taiwan is China's Taiwan. The Taiwan question brooks no external interference. No individual or force can halt the historic process of China's complete reunification. The spokesperson said such arms sales severely harm peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. She added China will take resolute and strong measures to firmly defend its sovereignty and security interests. On Friday, the U.S. government said it had notified Congress of its intent to sell Taiwan 60 anti-ship missiles, 100 air-to-air missiles, and other arms. Beijing has stepped up pressure on Taiwan since a high-profile visit to the island by U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. It's conducted large-scale military drills and sent fighter jets over the median line in the Taiwan Strait. 
A bipartisan group of U.S. congressional lawmakers arrived in Taiwan late Wednesday. The visit coincides with a trip by a French delegation that landed in Taiwan the same day. Eight lawmakers are part of the U.S. group. They're led by Democratic Representative Stephanie Murphy. Taiwan's foreign ministry says the group will meet with President Tsai Ing-wen and others before leaving on Friday. They'll discuss issues including U.S.-Taiwan relations, the regional security environment, the economy and trade. Taiwan's presidential office says this is the sixth U.S. delegation to visit since House Speaker Nancy Pelosi did in early August. Despite Beijing's opposition, the U.S. and other Western countries continue to send delegations to Taiwan. We turn now to revelations about connections between Japanese politics and religion. Ties between politicians and a religious group, once known as the Unification Church, came to light after former Prime Minister Abe Shinzo was shot dead in July. The religious group is alleged to engage in a dubious marketing practice known as spiritual sales. Now the main ruling party says nearly half its members in the diet have had some kind of contact. The investigation covered the party's 379 lawmakers, except the head of each of the two chambers. Motegi said 179 had reported contact with the former Unification Church. The types of contact included sending congratulatory telegrams to meetings of the group or its affiliates and having aides attend those meetings. Motegi also revealed the names of 121 lawmakers who admitted having more substantial connections. Seventeen party lawmakers said members of the group had helped with their election campaigns as volunteers. In Russia, where President Vladimir Putin is digging in his heels over the invasion of Ukraine. He admits Western sanctions are having a serious impact on the global economy, but he claims Moscow is coming out unscathed. I am sure that we have not lost anything, nor will we. When it comes to what we've gained... I can say we're strengthening our sovereignty. Yes, things are becoming more divided around the world, as well as inside Russia. But I think this is for the best. Putin made the remarks at an economic forum in Vladivostok, with top officials from other countries including China and Myanmar attending. Putin told them Western sanctions are an act of aggression. He called them an attempt to impose the West's values onto other nations and force them into submission. Western countries are trying to preserve the old world order, one that is only beneficial to them. He also blamed Western Europe for creating an energy crisis by threatening price caps over the Ukraine conflict. Putin says Russia will take its oil and gas elsewhere, naming China as a main customer. Inspectors say shelling around a nuclear plant in Ukraine has left them gravely concerned. And they say they need to set up a security zone around the Zaporizhia complex immediately. The head of the International Atomic Energy Agency briefed the Human Security Council on his visit last week to the site. Rafael Grossi and his team filed a report outlining the dangers. Grossi and his team witnessed some of the shelling themselves. They say the attacks have not triggered a nuclear emergency. And their report doesn't name who's responsible. But they say the fighting represents a constant threat to nuclear safety. 
Their report lists the damage they found, including some in a building that houses nuclear fuel and radioactive waste. And they say they're prepared to start talks with both sides over setting up the safety zone around the plant. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7355 and 6165 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. This shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. This shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.